Women business owners are the fastest growing group of small businesses in large part because over the last, over my lifetime at least, there has been a concerted effort to eliminate barriers to accessing capital for women. Welcome to Co-God in the Know, a podcast brought to you by the Co-God School of Business at American University. I'm your host, Alex Grodnick. This season, we're delving deep into the heart of the Kogad experience, spotlighting our diverse and inclusive community. As one of the nation's most diverse business schools, our commitment to diversity stands as our cornerstone strength, equally matched by our DC location and leadership in sustainability. Throughout this season, we'll address the challenges individuals face in their quest to flourish and thrive in the modern business landscape and explore the pivotal role businesses play in fostering human well-being. Stay with us as these themes unravel, defining the unique Kogad experience. In today's episode, we're diving into the complexities of the U.S. tax system and its interaction with the changing landscape of employment, particularly the surge in independent workers and freelancers. Caroline Bruckner is with us to shed light on these intricacies. Drawing from her extensive research, we'll discuss how the U.S. stands apart with its unique tax policies, the increasing number of independent workers, and the challenges they face. Additionally, we'll touch upon an essential observation from Caroline's findings, the growth of women business owners, and how they've historically been underrepresented in tax policy conversations. So let's get started. Hi, my name is Caroline Bruckner, and I am a tax professor at the Kogod School of Business in the Accounting and Taxation Department. And I'm also the managing director of the Kogod Tax Policy Center, which focuses on research specific to small businesses and entrepreneurs. Great. Very cool. Caroline, did you always know you wanted to delve into this field? And how did your interest in researching taxes and its implications develop? So when I was in law school, I uh, had the great good fortune to have a really extraordinary tax professor as a woman. And when I was in law school, I only had two women law professors, one of which was a tax professor. The other one was Will's Trust and Estates. And it was at that period that it really struck home to me how much representation matters. Um, And because I had such a good experience um, and responded to having women tax professors, I developed um, a keen interest in tax, international tax specifically, uh, as well as tax policy. And so When I graduated law school, I knew right away I wanted to do an advanced degree that was uh, additional um, credits of study for a master's in taxation, uh, which is an LLM, which is the degree that you get post a Juris Doctor degree. And then I went into private practice and I was a tax attorney in private practice for a number of years. And then had the chance to work in public service for the United States Senate, working on tax policy issues specific to small businesses. I worked for the U.S. Senate Committee on Small Business and Entrepreneurship, ultimately as chief counsel of that committee, where I handled tax, labor, and budget matters for the committee and any legislation that came before the committee involving small businesses and those issues, as well as the chair, and really learned a lot about public policy and tax implications for small businesses and how you can help small businesses grow using tax policy. 
And when I had the chance to move to COGOD to run a tax policy center that focused on those issues specifically, it was a perfect fit. Wow, that's impressive. So you've had quite the career journey, transitioning from a tax attorney to working in the Senate and now being in education. Can you describe further how your career journey led you to this point and why it's such a perfect fit? So my career journey has included both extensive private sector as well as public sector uh, experience. And when I had the chance to make the jump into academia and teaching, I was really, really excited because it was an opportunity to use a platform that professors have to promote new and innovative ideas around business research and tax policy and um, integral to both the research side is the chance to work with students and really focus on developing tax, what I call tax confidence in students and a greater understanding of tax implications in business decision-making. And I just could not resist the opportunity to jump into academia for those reasons. Right. It's remarkable how your journey was initiated by your professor and now being on the other side and having the opportunity to make an impact on students must be truly fulfilling. I really relish getting to work with students and I get to do it in two different ways, uh, both in the classroom, but then I also run our uh, volunteer tax in a tax preparer program that we uh, operate in connection with Community Tax Aid DC, which is a volunteer income tax assistance program that helps low-income DC residents do their taxes. And I get to work with students to do the training and certification to be qualified to go do tax preparation and um, tax filings for low-income DC residents. So I get to be both in the classroom teaching these things and then on the ground working with students, helping low-income folks recognize how the tax code both impacts them and can benefit them in terms of all of the social programming that we run through the tax code, like the earned income tax credit or the child tax credit or certain deductions or credits that small business owners may be entitled to. Wow. It's remarkable to see your profound direct impact in the field. You're not only educating students, but also providing invaluable tax insights to those who might not have the privilege of higher education. So Caroline, you mentioned international tax. I have to ask, are most countries' tax systems as confusing as they are here in the U.S.? So what's really cool about being able to practice international tax is that the U.S. tax system is distinct from other developed nations. We tax on a worldwide basis, which means that wherever you earn money doesn't matter. You're still going to have to pay taxes to a certain extent on that income that you earned, even if it never touched the United States, if you have a connection to the United States. Lots of other countries have systems where they only tax the income that's within their borders. So because we have this worldwide tax system, it's inherently more complex. And we have a developed a really complicated credit system so that companies pay tax companies can claim tax credits for taxes that they pay to foreign jurisdictions on their U.S. tax bill. But even more complicated than that 
is the uh, network of individual tax treaties that exist between the United States and every other country that lowers um, tax barriers for businesses doing um, business in those countries. So for example, say you're a US company and you have operations in um, France, there is a US French treaty that you may be able to claim benefits under to lower your tax bill in both France and in the United States. So there are all of these really complex treaty and trade issues that are specific to tax, as well as um, the underlying overall system that we have for taxing income earned by uh, businesses and individuals who have a U.S. tax obligation. It's incredibly complex and very, very interesting. I once worked for a partner in a major firm who told me that practicing international tax is a lot like trying to scale a wall of ice with your fingernails. It's hard, but it's fun. <laughs> fun for some. Wow. So you mentioned this idea of tax confidence. With such a complex system that most people don't know where even to start, how do you approach helping individuals build that confidence? So one of the primary ways that I teach tax to students is to focus on the policy behind the tax rule. I find that once students understand that everything isn't just arbitrary, that there's a rationale behind it, and who you vote for very much impacts your tax bill in a lot of real ways and very much reflects our priorities and values as a country where we invest in tax credits for businesses to help certain industries grow, as we've seen with the Inflation Reduction Act, which had, you know, this massive climate change um, provisions that were all run through the tax code because President Biden had determined through decades of experience working in Congress that one way that you can get businesses on board to align with your priorities is through the tax system. So by giving businesses tax credits to engage in sustainable practices, you had an alignment between um, business priorities and President Biden's climate change agenda. And I find that when you teach the policy or the rationale behind tax rules, students both engage, respond, and understand better and are not as intimidated by the forms themselves. Yes, that makes complete sense. By grasping what's behind it, the subject transforms from a seemingly abstract memorization task into something tangible and real. So Caroline, based on your research, what is keeping people from thriving in this current system? So one of the most important ideas that I have really pursued in groundbreaking research that I've done is to look at how we make tax policy decisions and develop tax legislation in understanding whether or not we have the best data to make the best decision. I, when I worked in the United States Senate, my boss always told me that um, good legislation requires good data. In order for data to be good, it has to be inclusive. And you can't tell from tax returns, gender or race or ethnicity, 
all you have is information about income and a name and a social security number if it's an individual return. And understanding how various tax rules impact people in terms of race or gender, if there is an impact or if there isn't, is an area where tax data transparency can really play an important role in developing good data. So what I really focus on is looking at small business owners. Women business owners are the fastest growing group of um, small businesses in large part because over the last, you know, uh, over my lifetime at least, uh, there has been a concerted effort to eliminate barriers to accessing capital for women. It used to be women could not get a loan or access capital without having their father or husband sign with a bank. And um, discriminatory lending practices that were operating against people of color, as well as women and others, uh, really had played a large part in keeping groups of small businesses, particularly women and women of color, from growing and developing their businesses. And when we look at tax data, when we look at tax provisions that are targeted specifically to small businesses to help them grow and thrive, if we don't have data on women and people of color, we don't know if those tax provisions are working as Congress intended. So one of the things that I've done is say, hey, let's try to look at these tax breaks and see if they're working for women or uh, small business owners that are um, people of color to see if they can take advantage of these various small business tax incentives to the same degree as other small business owners. And by developing that data, what we can do is serve as an audit or rather Congress can have the information it needs to perform its oversight function of these various tax incentives targeted to small business owners. So that's one important way that having inclusive tax data really can change policy outcomes. Wow. That's really interesting. So are there any early findings from the data that you can share? Absolutely. (laughs) We have done a series of articles looking at how and whether women claim small business tax incentives to the same degree as their counterparts do. Uh, We have also uh, developed, working with colleagues over at the AU School of Public Administration, a comprehensive uh, congressional legislative data set that looks at the number of times women have been invited to participate at tax hearings that are uh, held by the tax writing committees, uh, the Senate Finance Committee and the House Ways and Means Committees, which are the committees of jurisdiction for writing tax policy at the federal level. And we've literally documented that women business owners specifically have been both overlooked and underrepresented in those tax policy hearings and in those discussions, particularly in 2017, when Congress undertook a you know massive uh, overhaul of the tax code under the Trump administration. 
Those findings are indeed disheartening, but documenting this data is a significant step forward. So what are your thoughts on the implications of this data now? Do you foresee it leading to policy changes and informing decision makers in the field? We've had a tremendous response just from releasing our initial findings in 2020 and again in 2023. We, uh, together with the team that I lead, we have been invited to brief um, congressional committees on um, their um, practices for ensuring that there is both diversity and inclusion of women and other underrepresented um, groups at the witness table during hearings. We briefed the um, U.S. House of Representatives Office of Diversity and Inclusion, which then turned around and started a survey of all of the U.S. House of Representatives congressional committees to track Uh, the diversity and inclusion of witnesses at various hearings. Um, We also um, uh, have been responsible and think that we can point to a specific period of time uh, related to the publication of our data. And when we started briefing congressional committees on our findings, that there was a notable uptick of more women and people of color being invited to testify. And Given that we have more than 10 years of data of 16 different congressional committees, both in the Senate and in the House, we are just really happy about our results and how just raising awareness of these issues has translated to more inclusive policymaking. Wow. Congratulations. It's incredible to see the tangible impacts that revealing such skewed data can have. Your emphasis on the significance of accurate data truly resonates with me. So from our conversation so far, it's evident why COGOD, with its location in D.C. and its emphasis on public policy, was a great fit for your research. Are there any other factors that played a role in your decision to conduct your research here? When I pursued a position working at COGOD, it was because the COGOD Tax Policy Center is the only one of its kind that focuses on tax issues specific to small businesses and entrepreneurs. And I knew having worked on really important legislation involving small businesses like the Small Business Jobs Act of 2010, the Affordable Care Act, how important having inclusive data and thinking about women business owners, minority business owners, and other underrepresented groups in the small business space really can translate to important outcomes when you focus policy and research on those populations, which tend to be overlooked and understudied because collectively, even though they outnumber the big guys 10 to 1, Right. So if you think about it, uh, you can pull up the latest data around how many businesses there are. And when you think that there are maybe 32 million businesses, let's say, um, operating in the United States right now, only a small fraction of those businesses are actually corporations. But those corporations are responsible for more than half of the overall gross domestic product 
or economic out, output of the entire country. In other words, even though there are very few corporations, large businesses generally, and you can just define large businesses by um, just a general definition of uh, more than 500 employees, there are relatively few compared to the more than you know, 28 million small businesses that operate every day. And those small businesses, while collectively they don't have the same economic output, there are so many more of them, but Congress only has so much time. And so they tend to focus on the bigger, more established corporations when they turn their policy or attention to business matters as opposed to security, environmental, or other matters, that smaller businesses often get overlooked and understudied and specific populations, minority business owners, women business owners, are even less studied. So working at COGOD was an opportunity to really pursue research for these kinds of businesses. Yeah, it's evident that you're here doing this crucial and noble work to promote fairness and equity. In your perspective, what responsibilities do businesses hold in advancing human well-being? So a lot of the work that I do is not only on small business owners, like women business owners and minority business owners, but I also spend a lot of time looking at gig workers or independent contractors, freelancers, individuals that have a side hustle, the very smallest of the small business owner. And the data around those folks consistently shows that those independent workers usually can report having more trouble securing nutritious food, convenient housing, transportation, childcare than regular employees. And that matters because of a major shift that we've seen in our workforce, which is that when I started doing this work at COGOD and we looked and counted the number of independent workers or gig workers or freelancers, the estimates at that time in 2015, 2016 ranged from about 10 million U.S. workers to maybe 12 or 13 That number today is generally agreed to be somewhere upwards of 60 million people. More and more people are working outside of traditional employment. That means more and more of these folks are the smallest of small business owners, and they are encountering challenges as small business owners. This is not to say that those 60 million people don't also have full-time jobs, but it is to say that there is a trend that was accelerated by COVID of people working multiple jobs to support their households. And it is the responsibility for businesses to be aware of these major labor force changes, which have huge implications for retirement funding, for tax policy, for our environmental policy. They absolutely impact how we have structured 
our tax code and our society, which in the 20th century was primarily structured around the idea that individuals are going to work for one company and just be an employee and then retire. That's not how people work today. And the data consistently shows that millions and millions of more people are working multiple jobs for their household income. And we all have to recognize this significant change. And it particularly matters for our students who are encountering this workforce and the reality of having to work in different ways. I mean, layer on remote work on top of that, and you can see just how quickly things have changed in just the few years I've been at Kogod. Right. The pace of change in the world of work is accelerating, which is one of the reasons I think we're witnessing so many labor disputes and challenges. It's an intriguing and dynamic period of development. It is remarkable how quickly all of this has changed just in the short time that I've been at Kogod. I've been at Kogod since 2015, and we are the national thought leaders on the tax compliance issues of gig workers and the tax policy issues that are raised by this changing workforce and thinking through how small businesses structure their hiring and expansion plans around this changing workforce. It's consistently something that we see evolving and an area where we are leading and can really weigh in the conversation in a constructive way because we are co-god and because we have that reputation and credibility and you know existing research to really bring to bear some very thoughtful and constructive ideas on what needs to happen to accommodate these changes in our workforce. Wrapping up, today's episode illuminated the unique intricacies of the U.S. tax system and its interplay with our evolving employment landscape, especially with the rise of independent workers. The significance of women in business and their role in tax policy cannot be overstated. With the U.S. workforce and tax framework ever-changing, it's crucial for businesses and policymakers to adapt. Many thanks to our guest today for her invaluable insights. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in, and please continue to stay with us as we explore the rich tapestry that makes up the Kogod experience.